Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Perfect. Thank you. That was, it just gets better every time. It does. All right. It's like fine right. wine and cheese. <laughs> Uh, that's okay. what that's yeah, what we, we should have we'll that we should have named our podcast wine and cheese Fi- wine and, uh, and, cheese. and and the listeners can figure out which one of us is wine and which one of yeah. us is cheese that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> i think it varies and alternates doesn't it, it? it sometimes does. you're cheese I'm sometimes i'm cheese that's right. we both wine hey everyone it's elliot and todd Welcome to Two Designers Walk Into a Bar, an ongoing conversation about pop culture and iconic design. Today we're going to take a step back in time and into a bar from the past as we rub elbows with the beats. We may be in Greenwich Village. We could be in North Beach. Wherever our bar is for you, it's home to the hippest cats and the coolest kittens. So ask the bartender for some reasonably priced Chianti, wave the cigarette smoke away from your face, and dig the crazy scene right alongside us here in the bar. So we've talked a little bit about layout. We've talked a little bit about the design side of the house in in terms of of photography and typography, things like that. But I also want to talk a little bit about illustration because, of course, there's a, a look and feel to the illustration that came on the scene in pop culture around this time. And as we've talked about before literature played a part in the pop culture scene music played a part in the pop Mm -hmm. culture scene there were paintings as we talked about things like abstract expressionism so there was this real melting pot of all these different influences that were going on and um I wanted to talk a little bit about illustration because I feel that mid-century illustration just has this certain look about it. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's definitely of its time, but I think it transcends its time as well because it definitely influences some things that are still going on today with some illustrators that to you and, and I as designers may be household names to us, but even mm-hmm. for the general public, even though these people aren't household names, you know their work. You've seen their work. Yeah, and you we, can pinpoint it. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, the look and feel and the style. Yeah. And we'll, of course, have some examples of this on our episode page as well. 
But what I wanted to do was I wanted to get started with this episode today not talking about an illustrator. So, you know, we were zigging, and I'm going to zag for a yeah. minute. But, okay. but I promise right. I'll, I'll I'll pull it together, Todd. I know we haven't right. done that to date, but hope springs eternal. I plan All to right. do it with this episode. So I'm going to turn zag over on, a new leaf. Zag on, my friend. All right. Zag on. So I want to talk about jazz pianist Mary Lou Williams for a moment. Uh, all right. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you're thinking I, 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 I am eager to know who this yeah, person so, is. Yeah, yeah. So you're confused. I, I warned you. I told you yeah, I was going to yeah. zag, and here I am. I'm zagging. Here so hang on, hang zagging. on for dear life. Okay. I want to begin a bit before the Beats in 1910, and that was the year that Mary Lou Williams was born. And I want to read a quick excerpt from a magazine called Copper Magazine. And that is from, there's a company called PS Audio and they make audio gear. You might be able to guess that from their name, but they also Uh put out a magazine and it talks about different musicians and, and industry trends and things like this. So I found an article in this magazine about Mary Lou Williams and a little bit about her history. Mm hmm. I'm going to read this. I'll read this okay. straight. I'll read this. You're going to you know, read this article to us. I'm going to read. Yeah, I'm going to read a couple paragraphs okay. real quick as we jump into right. it. Okay. Considering that she wrote arrangements for Duke Ellington and mentored Thelonious Monk. You know, these are names you and I mm. have both heard of. General public yeah. has heard of too. Yeah. Jazz pianist and composer Mary Lou Williams should be much more famous than she is. Like, mm-hmm. so this is, again... Why have we not heard of her? All right. She was also an outstanding player with a warm and almost liquid sound. And that's a, that's a great phrase. Yeah. This is a musician well worth getting to know. Okay. All right. So I mentioned 1910. So Williams was born Mary Scruggs in 1910, one of 11 siblings in an Atlanta family that moved to Pittsburgh when she was a child. Didn't have TV. That's true. (laughs) By playing the piano at parties around her neighborhood, she brought badly needed money into the household. She landed a coveted spot touring on the Orpheum vaudeville circuit at the age of 12, and soon Ellington invited her to sit in on some of his gigs. So obviously she was pretty good if at age 12 Duke Ellington's inviting her on stage. Yeah. Um, After she married saxophonist John Bearcat Williams... She oh, took man. over. I wish I had a name that was an animal too. Uh, what animal would you? What's your spirit animal? I don't know. I think it would. I don't. Let me think about that. Okay, yeah. I'm going to read the rest of this while you're thinking. How about that? All right, good. Okay. All right. After she married saxophonist John Bearcat Williams, she took over leadership of her husband's band in Memphis, so he could accept work out of town. Mm-hmm. They both ended up moving to Kansas City, Missouri. Remember where we took our trip? That's right. That's Kansas right. City, Home Missouri. To play with the Clouds of Joy, a group directed by Andy Kirk. Okay, one last paragraph as we wrap this up. All right, all right. When her marriage split up, so, you know, it's hard to be married to Bearcat, apparently. Evidently, yeah. Yeah, so when her marriage split up, she worked with Art Blakey, who we talked about before, and abandoned Pittsburgh for a while before moving to New York. Much in demand, she faced mental health problems that prompted her to take a hiatus to devote herself to her faith and to charities, particularly helping substance-addicted musicians get back to work. Again, we've talked about this too, right? I imagine the, there was a lot of opportunity for that yeah, I would, the, I would think in the jazz world. No, no shortage of work there. <laughs> her religious explorations led to the composition of several masses, 
one of which was choreographed by Alvin Ailey. So oh, wow. no slouch. Yeah. 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 A beloved music teacher at all levels, she continued to offer advice to fellow professionals and basic instruction to school children until her death in 1981. Dang. Okay, so there's two things that strike me about what you just read. One is, yeah, we should know her. She should be far more famous mm-hmm. with all the influence that she had. Mm-hmm. And the second is, gosh, what a long career she had. <laughs> Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, she was invited on stage at 12 by Duke yeah, Ellington. Yeah. So that would have been, you know, for those of you like Todd and I who are bad at math, she was born in 1910 and she was playing with Duke Ellington at age 12. That would be 1922. Mm-hmm. And then she died in 1981. So 59 yeah. years later. That's I mean, a long that's career. amazing. That's uh, yeah. incredible. Her career spanned a very transitional time in terms of formats for records. We talked about this before. She started releasing music on 78s, and that's when an album was truly an album, as we talked about before, then went to 45s and then went to 33 and a third LPs, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you think about that 60-year arc and all of the transition that was happening. I mean, if you think about it, Obviously, you can buy her music on CD today and probably yeah. digital download and everything. But, I mean, even in 81, that had also gone through eight tracks, that had gone through yeah. cassettes, that had gone through the birth of yeah. the CD. I mean, so, like, yeah. Yeah. six different musical mediums. I mean, that's yeah. insane. Okay, pause. Yes. Pause. Yes. Uh, I appreciate learning about Mary Lou Williams. I thought mm-hmm. we were talking about illustrators today. Okay. You're right. Okay. So I want to bring up another name. Okay, okay. And this is someone who we're going to be talking about today. Have you ever heard of a gentleman named David Stone Martin? No. Should I? Is is he related to Mary Lou Williams? Mm, Not directly, no. Okay, okay. They were friends. Um, So when, when she was recording her first album... And that was, she was heading up what was known as the Mary Lou Williams Trio. And this was her first album. So it was also named the Mary uh, Lou Williams Trio. And this came out in 1945 on Ash, and that's A-S-C-H, Ash Records. She knew David Stone Martin, and she said, will you provide the artwork for my album? Hmm, okay. He obliged. He did that for her. And this album is not really great in either design or illustration, in my opinion. Okay. We'll have an image of it on our episode page. All right. However, why is this a pivotal moment? Why yeah, am I bringing this Why are we talking up? about this if it's yeah, not it's, 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 So far, it's, it's dead end after dead end, right? And <laughs> it's because this experience and this exposure to jazz, this mm-hmm. kicked off a lifelong career for David Stone Martin in terms of his interest in jazz and it flipped the switch and he ended up doing hundreds of album designs for oh, jazz labels. Okay. okay. But it all began because of this friendship. So let's jump in and let's talk about that a little bit more. All right. You know, I want to take a step back for a moment and I want to talk a little bit about illustration style during this period in general because Todd I know 
You, you, I regard you as a design illustrator. You do as much illustration yep. as you do design. And we've talked to several of our friends in our Bar Snacks episodes who are also illustrators as much as they're designers. And I think there's just this visual sensibility that's brought to the table when you have these folks who are these hybrid talents, if you will. I think there's mm-hmm. just... Mm-hmm just a more broad sensibility. And so we're definitely gonna, with this episode and our following episode, we're gonna definitely celebrate some of those folks. Um, And we've talked a little bit about uh, this scene and this era in some of our past episodes, uh, you know, at the top of this series about the beats, the atomic age, the space race, and the transition into popular culture for those things, technology is taking hold. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. You start to think about this sort of, what was technology or what was funkiness coming out of this sort of abstract expressionism? What does that start to look like? You know, you think of things like googie architecture. Right, right. You mentioned um, in past episodes with some of these jazz albums how the type was bouncing and doing Mm -hmm, these fun mm -hmm. things. And when you think about hotel signs or restaurant signs from this era, they definitely, the fun ones, start to have that sensibility to them. And I think that carries over not only into the design work of these jazz albums, but also the sensibilities of the illustrations that appeared on these albums and were influenced by these albums. Because, of course, these folks didn't only um, illustrate jazz albums. They had a bunch of different things they were working on over the years. Um, You know, you think about, I would say, even... The, our first love, Mad Magazine. Think about some of the illustration styles in Mad as that started to come of age in the 50s and 60s and things like mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. sort of in the scene or in the milieu of all of that, I want to start to talk about David Stone Martin a little bit because he uh, is definitely in this vein. And I think the style that he has is still very, very influential today. So who is this guy, aside from, of course, being friends with jazz musicians? <laughs> That's right, right. He was born in Chicago in 1913 and uh, went to the Art Institute of Chicago, graduated in the mid-30s, and came to New York in the early 40s. And he was already interested in jazz. As we mentioned, he was friends with pianist Mary Lou Williams, and um, not to, well... I'll go ahead and say it. I, Todd, I know you love a scene. I do love a scene. I know you love a scandal. Hey, I love a scandal. Uh, you do. You do. So I'm going to spill a little tea. And uh, oh, the, yeah. the word on the street, uh, my sources have informed me that um, some might say that uh, David Stone Martin and Mary Lou Williams were very close friends if you oh, get my drift oh i'm i'm picking up what you're putting down it's slightly right, so. slightly problematic however for a couple reasons uh-huh. uh one was they were she, each married she was married yeah they oh, were they both were. married to other people <laughs> and okay. um, and also he was white and she was african-american so um, I think there were a couple reasons why, you know, you might say that they had to keep it under wraps a little bit. 
So, you know, she introduced him to jazz, gave him this opportunity. She, I guess, was sort of his muse, and so here we here we are. Mm. As I mentioned earlier, when she recorded her first album, um, and this was for Ash Records, uh, Moses Ash was the gentleman. She asked if her friend could design the album. He agreed, and so here we are. Okay, so this kicks off this relationship between David Stone Martin and jazz. Now, by 1950, so I mentioned he came to New York in the early 40s. By 1950, he had already produced more than 100 covers, 100 album covers for labels including Mercury, Ash, Disc, and Dial. So where did these things come from? Yeah, that's I was going to ask you like because obviously he hit he hit a vein pretty quickly. Uh, did he have did he develop contacts within the record companies or the record industry that just kept feeding him these things? Right, yeah, cuz it's not like Ash Records is this household name for a majority. Right, of right. Mercury certainly is, but not not right. Ash, right? So Yes, he, as it turns out, had a friendship with a record producer named Norman Granz, G-R-A-N-Z. Uh-huh. So this is one of the ways he was getting fed work. In addition to the labels I just mentioned, he also created illustrations for more than 400 albums. <laughs> 400. Wow. For a variety of labels, including Decca, Verve, Capital, Clef, Norgan, RCA, and uh, Smithsonian Folkways. So those are several labels I would regard as household names that are still around yeah, today yeah. that we've certainly heard of. When I look at his work, it looks like if I were doing uh, an illustration of the time, like what yep. artist would be drawing at that period. It's these great black lines and kind of expressive lines and block chunks of color. I mean, it it is very mid-century looking. Yeah, so very ink blot. It was obviously done with uh, pen and ink or ink and brush. It was meant to be sort of sketchy, sloppy, frenetic, fun. Um, It wasn't meant to be super tight. It was meant to be very expressive. Lots of portraits, uh, too. Like, he did really great portraits, didn't he? Did. Yeah, it was amazing. So he did Stan Getz, Count Basie, Charlie Parker, Billie Holiday, Art Tatum, John Coltrane, Ella Fitzgerald, Dizzy Gillespie, Jelly Roll Morton, Duke Ellington. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, some household names for sure. Wow. So he did nearly all of the covers for Ash, Clef, and jazz at the Philharmonic, right? So New York, labels of the 40s and the 50s. So he had a pretty steady pipeline of assignments coming in, obviously Mm -hmm. with some very distinctive and very talented industry figures in in the world of jazz. It's really incredible to think about. Yeah, Elliot, this, I'm glad you brought this guy to the bar. This is the guy, if you're teaching what mid-century illustration looks like, especially relating to jazz, David Stone Martin. And that's the guy right there. Okay. Hey, you know what? Um, I think it's time for two things. I think it's time okay. for a break. That's yeah. the first thing. I think it's about time that, uh, oh, I don't know. 
maybe out of the goodness of your heart or at least your wallet, you went ahead and refreshed my drink for our next. I knew, uh, I knew that was coming. Oh, come on. I knew that. All right. All right. All right. Well, we'll be back in just a minute, everybody. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, we want to take a moment to mention that if you're enjoying this episode, we have an archive of topics ranging from the Olympics to movie posters. Think Ghostbusters. Iconic images. Think Bigfoot. Punk music. The Ramones. Saturday morning cartoons. The Pink Panther. And failed products like OK Soda. Visit our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com for full episode notes and visuals, the latest blog content, and to sign up for our newsletter. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Find the links on our website or search using the phrase, Two Designers Walk Into a Bar. Most importantly, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people like you find podcasts like this. And tell a friend about us. Send them a link to our podcast from your listening platform of choice. And if you're inclined, buy our merchandise. Stickers, coasters, magnets, t-shirts. We're designers. We make good stuff and it helps support the show. Get in touch. Use the contact form on our website or send an email to hello at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. We read every message we get honest and we're available for speaking gigs email us to learn more okay now back to the bar kind of a silly question uh did he only do album covers or did he do other uh did he only work in jazz or did he do other stuff too no he did a bunch of other things so um You've probably heard of a, a fellow from the '50s named William Golden, who uh, yeah worked for uh, worked for a, a broadcasting company, uh, CBS, I believe. Yes, yes. So the famous I, obviously, he oversaw that. Pun intended, I guess. Um, oh. But uh, Martin didn't design that, but he did do many print ads for CBS during the 1950s, and we'll go ahead and find some of these and put them on the episode page. But he also expanded into illustration for magazines. As we talked mm-hmm, about earlier, mm-hmm. he didn't only do jazz albums. The folks we're going to be talking about did other things as well. So he did assignment work for Time, 17, the Saturday Evening Post, and other glossies from the 50s and the 60s that were sitting on everyone's coffee tables in their living room. This is wild because he literally was everywhere mm-hmm. in the in the fifties, mm-hmm. and the name uh, was not well known to me. Um, but he literally was everywhere yeah. during that time, and um, I think that's amazing. The work is is really super great, and um, mm-hmm. encourage our listeners to check out the episode page to see all these examples. He certainly is a prolific guy. 
Yes, 100%, 100%. Just a couple quick things, and we'll get into my favorite jazz album that he did. In my opinion, it's the one I, I like the best. So I want to just go back and talk about his style a little bit more and touch on some of the things that I had mentioned a minute ago. So where did he get this? We've talked about this style, but like, where did it come from? How did he happen upon it? And like, how did he kind of hit his stride as an artist? So he really, really loved a New York-based social realist artist named Ben Sean. And so they worked together. You're probably familiar with him. Yeah. Yeah. So they worked together on Works Progress Administration, WPA-era projects in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. And many of his album illustrations were, you know, like we talked about with the Blue Note artwork, line art combined with a single color and very often a pastel shade. You talked about with Blue Note how it was often bright colors, these sort of primary printing colors, a magenta or yellow. These were more subtle. They They were more mellow. And so the tool that he was using, we talked about this ink blot, this sort of fun energy. The tool he normally used was a crow quill pen. So I had never heard of a crow quill. So I imagine like uh, Heckle and Jekyll, even though they were magpies, I think, weren't they? I can't remember. Mockingbirds, I can't remember. But I imagine like one of their tail feathers getting plucked out and, you know, him dipping it in an inkwell and going to town on a piece of illustration board. <laughs> I think by I think by that time they were making them out of metal, so uh, they didn't oh, have to man, they didn't have dude. to pluck Heckle and Jekyll. Oh man, uh, uh, but those guys deserve not that it. you sh- you should you should pluck Heckle and Jekyll. I think, I think so. yeah. Okay, so that makes a lot of sense because the technique that a crow quill gives you, um, it can give you fine lines, it can give you blotty fat lines with yep. pressure. So you can actually, so it, it just looks more expressive. And, yeah. Yeah. and, and it, it is prone to splotches and, uh, you know, leaking. So it just, that even adds more to the, the It gives a character. It. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, but anyway, you were talking about your favorite album of that. Oh, time. well, yeah. So, um, remember, I mentioned a moment ago that one of his clients was Jazz at the Philharmonic, right? But he also mm-hmm. worked mm-hmm. for Jazz at Lincoln Center, another fly-by-night outfit you may have heard of. (laughs) (laughs) They might be something one day. Yeah, yeah. So this was in the 60s and the 70s. And um, there ended up being an exhibition of his artwork there. And it was said in this exhibition that his work, quote, brilliantly evocative jazz covers for the Verve label and others at mid-century set the industry standard. Yeah. Martin sought visual equivalents of the music contained in the sleeves he illustrated. Iconic images instantly recognizable as modern jazz. So I think that we are on to something in terms of this line work and energy and what he was trying to zero in on with his work. Um, And so where can someone find it now aside from the internet and aside from the album, which everybody is going to hop onto the internet and search for in just a moment when I reveal what it is. That's right. You can find his work at MoMA in New York and the Met in New York and at the Art Institute of Chicago. We mentioned that's where he went to school and uh, the Smithsonian. So he's no slouch. 
No, that's right. And uh, I'm looking at some now too, Elliot, and there's actually uh, books of his artwork that, that if you are not going uh, to the MoMA or the Smithsonian, you can actually get a book and take a look at it. You can. You can. But before we do that, before everybody... Uh stops listening to the podcast and hops on Amazon. Um, just one more reason for them to stop listening to the podcast. Hey, don't give any ideas. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Let's uh, jump in and let's talk about my favorite album uh, that he worked on and why I like it uh, so much. It's really kind of a compilation of singles. It's called Bird and Diz. So obviously okay. uh, Charlie Parker and uh, Dizzy Gillespie and um, them collaborating on this album. And uh, gosh, where do I begin in terms of describing the artwork? It's three colors, or I guess maybe like three and a half colors. It's uh, black, yeah. red, blue and then the background is sort of this ink wash kind of gray that may or may not be a tint of the black <laughs> i am looking at an image online i don't have it physically in front of me i wish i did though and um it's tight but it's loose at the same time and i love how the saxophone uh and the trumpet are both these amazing instruments that one is actually the sax is a, is a bird in this case it's mm -hmm. perched on mm -hmm. the edge and there's one figure it's a central figure and um i love how the trumpet divides the face vertically so half mm -hmm. is obviously uh charlie parker half is obviously dizzy gillespie and um it's just so great because it's sort of loose, but it's also sort of, I don't know, cubist a little bit. Um, yeah, and the, the trumpet is, which is dividing the face, is pointing to the title mm -hmm. at the top. So mm -hmm. that brings your attention there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the hand lettering in this is not to be missed. I love that the there's certainly some... Uh, set type running down the right hand side um, that gives a credit to the, the producer for the album, Norman Grands, who we mentioned earlier, uh, the producer, uh, longtime patron. But um, I just love the hand done lettering on this, these shapes, because it's echoing, of course, the shapes of the musical instruments. And it's yeah. really fun and funky and bouncing. And even the label. So this was a, an album done for Mercury. And if you look in the lower left, it's a really fun, funky, like the letters just almost seem like they're alive, like they're dancing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or I could see some of the serifs starting to like bellow and move and start to pump out little blurts of sound themselves, especially the Y. <laughs> it seems like it's its own sort of musical instrument. I mean, this is such a fun uh, piece of art for me. So, uh, can I talk for a minute about uh, some that I really like? Because I was, I'm looking uh, at 
David Stone Martin's illustration while you yeah. were describing that. And yeah. there's I've there's a couple that I'm really digging um, for a lot of the same reasons. But I think it's clear that Dizzy Gillespie was really exciting this guy a lot because oh, yeah. two of his other uh, records uh, for Dizzy Gillespie Sextet and one called Roy and Diz mm -hmm. um, are really both hot. Both use two color, black and red. And um, the I'm just I will just we'll we'll post them so everyone can see. Yeah. But uh, I'm particularly drawn to the Roy and Diz one. It's a uh, it's mostly black line artwork and then a few spots of red. And um, I can't help but allude to Spy versus Spy on this <laughs> album cover. And you know, I have to bring it to the low, low brow when you you're do. doing the high brow. This, I mean, this is a brilliant, like it just, this crazy intersection of all these lines and it just, it reminds me of Spy versus Spy and it's, it's beautiful. Well, I don't think that's a coincidence. You know, Mad was in New York. This guy was working in New York. Certainly, uh, Mad may be considered lowbrow by some, but you and I both know that these guys were actually very smart and very cultured. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, as absolutely. much as they pretended not to be. And so, um, I imagine that this artwork did not escape their glance, um, even if it was only indirect. I'm sure it inspired what they were up to. All right, so. I'm so glad you brought David Stone Martin to the bar, Elliot. This guy, he's a real deal. He's got like the look of mid-century. If you were doing a course on teaching mid-century illustration and how crazy you can get with a crow quill pen, this is the guy <laughs> that you would want there. I mean, he's just bringing it, right? He's just bringing it and he's having a great time. I bet he's spent a little bit of time around the bar too. Oh, I hope so. He, uh, yes, Todd, he can always be an honorary guest, I think, at our bar, for sure. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, check out some of our other episodes. Check out the episode notes, and we'll see you around here next time at the bar. All right. Take care, everybody. And I'm Joe, and, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading. reading! Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show, or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, 
visit evergreenpodcasts.com.